Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario, where I will apologize for my voice being a little bit hoarse. Been uh, feeling okay, but my voice has just been a little off the past few days, so I do apologize for that. But we have a terrific episode for you today with one of the directors of The Silence of Others, a new documentary that is having its North American premiere tomorrow night after we release this episode. So Friday, April 27th at 6.30 p.m. at the Tiff Bell Lightbox number 2. Also Saturday, April 28th, Tiff Bell Lightbox number 3. If you can't make it to either of those, the following Saturday, Saturday, May the 5th at 11.45 at the Scotiabank Theater Cinema number 3 in Toronto. The Silence of Others is a documentary film that follows a group of people who are fighting against the amnesty law in Spain, which prevents the prosecution of crimes against humanity of members of the Franco regime. It was passed two years following Franco's death in 1975, and the survivors of the Franco regime, those people who were tortured, who were imprisoned, and the descendants of those who were killed are fighting against this law and trying to ensure that those who are still alive, who perpetrated these crimes, are brought to justice. And it's a very powerful film. And I had the opportunity not only to see the film, but also to talk to one of the directors, Al Mudina Caracido, who is live in Madrid. So she was uh, gracious enough to speak with me. And if you're in Toronto, she is going to be there with her partner, Robert Behar, who worked on this film with her, as well as two of the individuals you see in the film who are leading this movement for justice in Spain. They will be there and they will be available to talk and and answer questions. And it really is a powerful film and I would encourage everybody to see it if you're in Toronto to head out to the screenings on the 27th and 28th if you can because you'll get a chance to speak with the team there, but also on May 5th, if you can't make it, this weekend. And uh, Almudina also mentioned to me that there is going to be a wide national distribution of this film. So we'll keep you up to date on that as it continues over the next few months, because it's a film that, and as we talk about this in the show, it's specific to Spain, certainly, right? Franco was the dictator in Spain and, and committed crimes against the Spanish people. But it's a universal story, the way in which we remember, the way in which we address past injustice. There are a lot of universal themes here, so I'd encourage everybody to see it. And we talk about that on this episode as well. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Almedina Caracido. Welcome to the show, live from Madrid. How are you? Good, thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you for taking the time uh, to, to talk about The Silence of Others. So a very powerful film. As I said, I, I watched it last night before we had the chance to talk. And, you know, I, I'm always curious when, when people make these these types of products, the, these films, whatever they are, films, books, plays, whatever it is, that are very emotional, very raw uh, and to the bone. And this is a story that, for me, as someone growing up in Canada, the Franco regime in, in sort of my historical consciousness, we talk about the war in the 30s, and then after that, it kind of goes away from what we tend to, to learn about here in Canada. So for you, I, I'm just curious, just to start off, 
where did the idea for the story come from and what motivated you to create something that is let's be honest it's it's very emotional for people and you're you're going into people in a very raw moment as they're dealing with very very serious emotions i actually grew up in spain um I've been living in the U.S., although I'm back in Spain because we moved to Spain to make this film, right? But um, so growing up in Spain, I, I was part of that kind of, you know, my childhood was very political with the transition to democracy in Spain. Um, and to be honest, it's something that our generation didn't consider was something important to to remember or to fight for as we became politically active later in at the university, etc. right? Um, but it's like, like one of this, like... Um, so one of these pendant issues that stays with us, you know, um, and I always imagine, you know, my parents as young people, like I was when I was at the university, sort of fighting and, and you know, running from the police and risking their lives. And it's something that always um, so saddened me. It was a pain that I carried of, wow, all these people that fought and died, they devoted their lives and sometimes fully, you know, um, for for this, they don't have any recognition as freedom fighters. Quite the opposite. You're supposed to be hiding that you fought the dictatorship. And so I think that the very, very origin comes there. I do um, remember one specific moment when I went to watch The Wind That Shakes the Barley by Ken Loach. And I was crying for two hours afterwards. It's about the Irish conflict. And there was something inside me that kind of told me that I had to address this issue in my country, you know, because uh, I had made a film made in L.A. about sort of the fight for dignity of immigrant and undocumented immigrant workers in L.A. And it felt, well, it's great when you actually go somewhere else and you cover the plight of other people. But then I felt, well, what about my own history, you know? That's always a, a big draw when you can you know, address something that is, is personal to you. But what's interesting to me is that this movie, it starts really, or, or the main sort of inciting factor as, as a narrative device, of course, is the 1977 amnesty law. So right. after Franco dies in 1975, Spain passes an amnesty law. I love the way it's framed in the film that a lot of people thought it was amnesty for the political prisoners, but then, oh wait, it's actually amnesty also for the people of the regime who committed right. really crimes against humanity. It's the case that's being made by the survivors of this. And what's crazy to me as a historian, and, and I get the motivation in 1977 to pass something like this, but the idea that people can get over it by forgetting about it and never talking about it. And, and there's so many people in the film who you see say, Let's just move on and let's just never let it happen again. But how can you make sure it never happens again if you don't know about it or know what happened? And this amnesty law is is so interesting to me. And the fact that it happened in a lot of other places, too, where there were dictatorships, like, that's obviously sort of the, the, the factor that leads to all this uh, discussion. But given that there is this amnesty law in place, what sort of reaction did you get as a filmmaker from people around the country who who would have learned about you making this film. And I, I can't imagine it would have been a major factor, but were you in any sort of legal trouble, potentially, in trying to make this film? Because in a certain sense, you are almost, if not breaking the law, you're sort of pushing the boundaries, are you not? Yeah, we, we, what we're doing with the film is breaking the narrative that we've been taught since we were children. Um, everyone has been taught there were two sides, two equal sides, 
um, uh, a lot of people died on both sides and now we're just moving on and, and just, you know, and obviously what happens is that, um, so that transition was done to democracy was done at the expense of hundreds of thousands of victims. And it is a question that, you know, that we do pose in a way, right? So, okay, it happens like that. Let's not question why or why not. But the question is today in 2018, how is it possible that there are hundreds of thousands of victims in mass graves by the side of roads and everywhere in the countryside? How is it possible that there are thousands and thousands and the number is completely unknown of children who have been stolen who don't know who they really are? How is it possible that someone like Chato in the film can actually live nearby one of his torturers who was actually condecorated, is that, is that a word? <laughs> he was given awards as already in democracy for his, uh, you know, fight uh, for democracy, etc. And so, yeah, what the film does is that it actually kind of puts a mirror at you and confronts this sort of like learned uh, speech of, oh, we must forget, we must move on, because in reality, the victims do not forget, you know. The children of the victims who are victims themselves do not forget. And this is really not going away. We feel that, you know, we haven't been threatened or anything like that at all. I mean, Spain is a mature democracy. But for that reason, it is time for this democracy to deal with this legacy. Um, one of the things we wanted to do with the film definitely is to put Spain in the context of other countries that have undergone a transitional justice process. Uh, transition to democracy, etc., um, because people in Spain don't understand that they're not different. This has happened everywhere. Unfortunately, there are so many countries that are, even right now, as we speak, sort of leading with this past. Um, and so it's it's very important for Spaniards to understand that, um, that, you know, this has happened before. In Argentina, there was also impunity laws, and those were broken. And so... Um, I think situate in Spain in the context of um, other countries is very important because right now Spain is an outlier in the issue of historic memory, uh, impunity laws, etc. It's being denounced by the UN repeatedly um, and it just doesn't listen. Of course, you mentioned Argentina. Argentina plays a major role in this film as well. And this is something that I didn't know much about. And, and this is perhaps because, you know, growing up and living in North America and studying primarily North American history, the idea of, of crimes against humanity and, and these sorts of things. Obviously, we have our own issues with colonialism and, and all those those issues. But for the most part, we tend to think of those issues that happen elsewhere in North America uh, that, that don't really happen here. So I did not know this whole idea of universal jurisdiction. Right. And uh, the the ability of countries to cross lines, and um, so I'm just wondering if you could explain that a little bit, and why the the idea of universal jurisdiction is so important, and why it seems, at least in the film, so contentious and to raise so much uh, opposition within Spain itself. Right. So universal jurisdiction jurisdiction is a principle by which any country, any tribunal anywhere in the world can prosecute any crime that occurred in a different country with the premise that that country has refused to deal with the issues, right? So because Spain blocked uh, the door to judicial investigation, in fact, 
um, um, the interesting thing with Spain is that it was a pioneer in the use of universal jurisdiction when they actually issued an arrest warrant against uh, former uh, dictator Augusto Pinochet. Um, and also, it's very important to remember that one of the very first military junta person is actually in prison in Spain because of universal jurisdiction, because of a case that was issued from Spanish courts from this judge called Baltasar Garzón. Now, when this judge decided that it was time to look at our own crimes in Spain, he was put on trial. At the end, he was disbarred by an unrelated issue, but everyone considered it to be a political punishment uh, for daring to deal with these issues. And so it is in Spain, it is contentious because um, even though Spain has been pioneer of it, it doesn't want to be applied, doesn't want these uh, universal jurisdiction to be applied to the very same crimes that they actually judged as, uh, you know, from in the principle of universal jurisdiction. And that is still doing right now. Spain is still using universal jurisdiction to judge the same type of crimes that this lawsuit is talking about. But this lawsuit is based on uh, in Argentina, which is an interesting reversal because Spain judged the crimes of Argentina. And now it is Argentina that must actually sort of judge the crimes that happened at the former colony. It's very, um, very commonly people think of these crimes happening in the global south. Right. Never in the north, <laughs> you know, in quotes, north and south. Um, and so the fact that, you know, Spain has this serious human violations happening within its, its uh, borders. It's something that, you know, the people don't know. It's much easier to think of it in, in somewhere else, you know. Well, yeah, we we Spain is this nice place with great weather, great food, right? Like that's that's what we. Think that is Spain. also true, but there are some but, other seizures. Right. Yeah, but like, but you see people here right. who who were imprisoned uh, and tortured who are still alive. So I mean, this this isn't that far yeah. away. It's not something that happened four hundred right. years ago that is being accounted for. This these these are living issues uh, that come up in the film and. For me, it was, again, something that I don't really deal with that much. Because, again, the Franco regime is, is something we talk about in the context of the lead-up to the Second World War. And then don't really talk about it that much. And uh, so so it was a real eye-opener for me in, in that regard. But in doing so... No, I no, just wanted ahead. to mention that um, it is completely true. And that's why, you know, we really talk about this film in the present. It is a film about a present struggle for dignity, um, for basic human rights, such as the right to justice, um, the right to bury your loved ones, the right to know who you are and who your real parents were. Um, and um, it is the, the film obviously dwells into the past to understand our present, but it's essentially a film in present because you're right. The victims, unfortunately, many of them have passed away, but a lot of the victims are alive and their families are alive. And so what we capture is a day-to-day -day process in the search for justice of these um, of these characters in the film. Yeah, it seems to me in, in watching it that those characters are obviously very motivated. Their their stories are very powerful, but they the way it's framed or the way it's shot visually when they're on the street protesting uh, and giving their stories, it, I get the sense that they are a minority within the country, that most people don't want this to, to happen. Given that that seems to be the case, what sort of reaction do they get around the country, one? And two, how did 
you come to them? And how did you come to this particular group and get them to uh, agree to allow you to follow their story and, and their telling of these stories that are, again, so powerful, so emotional, and, and very difficult, not only for, for people to hear, but in a lot of cases we see when they're telling their stories that they're having difficulty telling them because they're reliving what happened right. to them. Um, yeah, the, the the problem in Spain is that these uh, victims and survivors are pretty much ignored and have been invisible for 80 years, 40 years of dictatorship plus 40 years of democracy. Um, and so, yes, we did want to show that there is a small minority that is fighting for it. Um, it's kind of like a little bit of a David versus Goliath story. Uh, but something that's really beautiful in the film, too, is that you do see how the movement grows and gets bigger. And this is something we've we've seen also in the process of making the film. It's been a seven-year process for us. We started filming in 2011. Um, so it's been quite a long time. At the beginning, people would ask us, why are you doing this film? Oh, come on, you know, same story, blah, blah, blah. Um, and now people tell us, what a great idea to tell this story. It's about time. <laughs> And so what we see in the film and in the course of making the film, obviously, is that there's a movement that is going more and more people are saying it's about time. I want to learn about my past. You have become part of their process. You have become part of their process, like a fixture that they always see, you know. Um, and so it's not so much that they are disclosing to the camera as that they are disclosing to you as, as a you know, as a closer relationship. And this is something that was very important for us, right, to show the humanity of it. I think very often we tend to think about history in names and numbers, big names, right, and numbers and, and places. And I think when people are able to see someone's story, sort of personally, a personal story, and connect with that person and be able to walk in their shoes, a lot of our stereotypes, um, and so common places actually fall apart and we start um, sort of creating a different kind of dialogue. Uh, yeah, I think that's really well said because, yeah, we, we always get so caught up. And, and I think the film talks yeah. about this too in the way in which the people from the Franco era are memorialized, frankly, um, or commemorated across the country and yet the victims get nothing except for this one monument that I love the the through line of how you show that monument um, and that it was shot at after it was built and how the, the sculptor said, well, that finishes my job. Uh, and, and there's a yeah. beautiful sense to that. And it really personalizes, humanizes history. I was just in, in France and Belgium doing First World War stuff. Right. And you see the same thing there, that you try to, a lot of the monuments there, and I think the cemeteries do this, is you humanize an inhuman act or inhuman moment. And I think that's what these people are trying to do is get the humanity back. Uh, not only their personal humanity, but the humanity of the, of everybody. Um, and, and frankly, to a certain extent, those who also committed the crimes that if they're held to justice, it humanizes them too. Uh, and the justice has that power to do that. Um, but in doing so, what we, what we see in the film is we get to know these people, I think. And we, uh, it's certainly, I think you start to root for them, uh, and you, you, you know, you see the the trials and the tribulations that they go through, and you want them to be successful in in what they're trying to do because it is so meaningful and powerful to them. But at the same time, we we also see 
the challenges, um, both in terms of age, right? The, the, there are individuals here who are older, um, and, and one of whom uh, does not make it through the film, uh, and it's a very powerful moment, and, and I love the way her daughter then reacts after her death. But, you know, as these individuals get older and they, they start to, to age, and, and, of course, they're going to start to die, that's where the relevance to me comes from this film is showing that these stories have to be preserved. That's why this lawsuit is so important to get rid of this amnesty law, hold people accountable and let the younger generation learn about what's going on. And it strikes me that while that is said by those, those individuals, that is almost more important than, you know, if, if the people who are, who this, who, who committed these crimes are put in jail, and, and our, there's justice that happens that's great but perhaps even more important is the learning that goes on and not letting people forget what happened uh, right. and as a historian that was certainly my takeaway from it and, and I just wonder if that group would agree with me because coming away from the film I'm not entirely sure what the motivation is we see the one guy who, who talks about rage right in, in his story He's, he uses the word rage and that's how he survived in the moment and then the accusations that come towards the group that you're just out for revenge and that's all you're looking for. Um, and I can see why people would say that, but I, I'm just sort of curious as to what you feel that the driving force is, if there's a primary motivation, and right. if there, there's actually a moment here where the the, the learning and the, the pres preservation of these stories is really the most important part, because as a historian, that's what really struck me and stood out for me. Right. You know, um, justice is different for every person, right? For some people, justice is, um, yes, to see the people who torture you brutally uh, in jail, um, or at least tried with all democratic guarantees. Um, for other people, justice is to be able to, un to exhume your mother's bones and to bury her in the cemetery so you could be buried next to her. Um, for the people, uh, justice is as simple as um, that history tells who is who and who did what. The history says this person was a murderer and your your mother was not. Uh, you need to realize that in Spain, all the um, convictions still stand. All the Francoist convictions stand. So Lorca is officially a criminal. Mm -hmm. um, Chato in the film is officially a criminal and all he did was to organize against a dictatorship, but you know, uh, peacefully. Um, and so, for so justice is different in a way. For some people, justice is that the little town where they belong sets up a little memorial that has the name of the victims and not just the names of the perpetrators. You know, mm -hmm. and so. In a way, this deals with the different forms of reparations that could be done from the parliament issuing um, sort of a, a, an official apology for what happened, because it has never happened in Spain yet. There's no official statement from the government in any way, and it's been blocked every year when it tries to pass. Even a day of the victims is blocked. Um, all the way to little towns, you know, in those little minor um, sort of acts of reparation. And so... I think if there is one word that can unite all their plight and all their what they're looking for is dignity, um, and for the, each of them is a different kind, right? But I think that um, 
one of the things that, that you mentioned is, is very important in the sense of what do we want to do with the film, right? So we wanted to create a conversation in Spain, definitely, but also internationally. Internationally, because the film serves as a, you know, via proxy to discuss issues in other countries and very useful. Sometimes you can't really screen in Lebanon a film about Lebanon crimes, but you can screen this film and talk about the issues, you know. Um, but, in, but in Spain as well, what we are um, setting up right now and we're looking for funding and everything is an, a very important uh, sort of like three-year three year long impact campaign so that we can take the film absolutely everywhere from big cities to little towns so that those people who remain silent all their lives can finally speak and tell their grandchildren who their grandfather really was and where he is buried and what part of the field he is buried, you know, um, or grandmother whatsoever, right? Um, and also for a conversation to happen between the children of the victims and also the children of the perpetrators, right? There is a generation that has not experienced any type of uh, conflict. <laughs> and so it's a conflict that has been imposed on them. It's a silence that has been imposed on them. And we completely believe that society is completely ready to start this kind of conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully, yeah, the film does does help with that because yeah, talking about it is to me the best way to deal with it. <laughs> you know, right. the the forgetting doesn't doesn't really do anything. And one one of the things that I think is really powerful in the film, and I don't really want to give away too much because I want people to to see it. Um, <laughs> but but th there's, and I said this to you before we started recording here, is that somehow the film is both really engaging and interesting and and dare i say almost like fun to watch like it's it's good to watch but at the same time it's very difficult to watch uh at parts and uh you know people are telling their stories there's towards the end um after you know one decision one legal decision you know there's a really powerful uh, uh section there that sort of I, I, you know it takes place over a couple weeks uh where they're doing some archaeological work that is is you know, it's it. I found it difficult to watch that section uh, right. of the film, and, and I'm just curious for you as a filmmaker, what sort of decision-making process was there? What discussions did you have, uh, not only internally as the team making the film, but with the families uh, and and the group themselves in showing those sorts of scenes? Uh, obviously, it's important to see what happened, and, and I think there's a, a a very real case to be made that that should be included but at the same time as just the visual of it for a, an audience you know it's it's something that it, it is difficult to watch i found so I, i'm just curious about the decision making process both internally and with the group the family members themselves in including those very difficult visual aspects so on one hand we wanted to make a film that was engaging that was not boring that would take you from the beginning to the end um, and that is because we wanted the film to reach people that know nothing about this, right? So they're not going to watch it for the theme. They're going to watch it because it is a good film. It's it's engaging. It's it's fun at times, right? Because you're seeing these people in this struggle as they yeah. travel, as they go here, as they there are disappointments, there are moments of joy, and so you are part of that journey, right? And that journey also includes hard moments, um, and it's part of their journey as well. I think that. Um, the moment you're referring to is very striking, but it is the moment when you realize um, that everyone we're talking about who passed away were human beings, 
Um, and this is very important. It's, it's very easy to talk and say, oh, there's 140,000 disappeared. Um, but then there's a moment when you realize that every bone had a name, uh, children, you know, etc. And so I, I think that's why for us it was very important. You know, one of the things that was most hard uh, for me personally um, within the team was to, I kept doubting whether we would be able to convey all the pain and all the all the harshness of what happened. And I actually think I was not able to convey all the pain because it is completely insurmountable, the amount of horror, rapes, executions, everything that happened. And so I think I've come to terms with the fact that we didn't, we weren't able to convey all the pain, but within the universe of the film and our characters, we were able to convey what it means to go through that so that people can understand it, again, at a human level, right, not as numbers. And so it was a joint decision, obviously, for the characters to allow us to be part of that uh, moment, uh, because, to be honest, what they want is for people to see this and to understand that they exist. Like you say, it makes it a very real uh, a moment. And to, uh, I, what's really in- interesting or striking about it, too, is we see the lead-up to it, right? Because with, with this particular individual, you know, we see her go and get the DNA test, uh, okay. for instance, so that we confirm, you know, who we find is, in fact, who we think it is. And that, you know, and she's there and she she doesn't know DNA, right? She says DMA a few times. Like, and sort of there's that light moment that is contrasted with the, the very heavy moment and the very emotional moment of of you know being on site and that's what i think makes this so unique is that it allows for the personal again and, and it makes it, right. it it makes these people who were following their their we see how they're full people that they can have moments of levity and, and joy and happiness and we see a, a lot of happiness through the film in terms of you know, the judge says they're going to hear their stories and then they hear their stories and decisions are made. And it's contrasted with the very heavy emotion, the sadness and, and almost the burden that they carry with them. Right. And it's it's the very, it's tragic and hopeful at the same time. And, uh, and, a, and right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's very, uh, it's a, it, it takes you on this journey, which I, I very much appreciated. And what I also like about it is that you're right, it's very much a story of the present and it, it follows these people uh, but it also doesn't it there's no real end if that makes any sense like obviously right. the film ends because i'm not watching it anymore so <laughs> but there, it's not like it's not like oh everything it, here's the end of it and we don't have to talk about it anymore right it's it sort of leads you from the present into the future almost and i'm just wondering stylistically uh, if that was the goal of it because certainly that was my takeaway Right. Um, so it's very difficult to find an end for a struggle that's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. The Argentine lawsuit is still open and everything is still open. So we um, we were looking for an ending that could help us close the story emotionally for the viewers, understanding that this was a door to a new path or to a new moment in Spain and that, you know, our characters are alive <laughs> and and their struggle is, is it continues and is ongoing. It's really beautiful when we screened the film, uh, when we screened the film in Berlin, actually we were, it was our world premiere and we were like 24 people on stage between cast and crew. Um, and it was really emotional for all the characters to come on stage. We were like <laughs> a real big troop in there. 
Um, and to have people stand up, there was like a huge long standing ovation to all of them and to feel validated, you know, in, in their struggle. Um, and so, so yes, I think when people leave the film, um, yes, it is a very intense emotional experience, but there is hope. Uh, the film ends in hope and we wanted to do that, even though obviously you could look at it from the other point of view, that things are still really bad. But we do see this ounce of um, of hope, and I think we want people to hold on to that hope um, for change. The fact that the world premiere was in Berlin, so I read that, and I right. thought, you know, right there's a place that, of course, has similar a similar struggle in in how to address their past, and and I think there's a, a nice irony in, in having that. Right. It was uh, very symbolic to to be there, and to be honest, we we received the audience award in Berlin because. I think it did connect to, you know, past legacies of, of terror. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think is universal. Obviously, it's a story about Spain and the need to remember and address these issues in Spain. But as I said earlier, yeah, we ourselves in North America is having these crimes against sanity that they're committed elsewhere. But if you look at the way that in North America, indigenous people were and continue to be treated by governments uh, and, and certainly other minority groups, the way that they've been treated. I mean, we have very contentious past here uh, and terrible things that have yes. happened that we need to address more fully as well. So that's what I, I, you know, yes, it's a story about Spain. These are people in Spain dealing with what happened in Spain, but they're they're addressing very universal issues. And the film touches on that with amnesty laws elsewhere, but even places without amnesty laws, you know, the, these are issues that are ongoing. They're very universal. And it's a film that is, uh, very relevant, especially in this time where, you know, the past and the memory of the past seems to be uh, more contentious than ever as, you know, or maybe it's just the overall politicization and the contentiousness in, in politics that I find that now is spreading into history where people don't want to believe the past in, in some <laughs> way. And uh, I, I think that this film is very important in, in helping to address those issues. And I realize that seven years ago when you started to make it, you had no idea that it would be coming out in this environment. <laughs> but this is the environment in which it's being released. And I think it's it's obviously very relevant to that. Yes. Th thank you very much. We, you know, we really do hope the film can serve as a tool uh, for discussion, you know, uh, in Spain and, and everywhere else, obviously. Yeah. And, and just, I guess, my, my last question would be, uh, so the film, of course, ends, but the issues are ongoing. Is this Is this something that you're going to continue to follow Obviously, you're going to follow it personally because you, know, you have a relationship with these people. But in terms of filming, right. uh, is is there plans to continue this story with uh, another one? Uh, we <laughs> no, we we're not planning to continue another one. But we are filming certain things, key things that happen, and those will be part of our impact campaign, right? So we will continue with the story uh, fully. Uh, for the next two or three years as we pass the film on to civil society to organize with it. Um, so first we will create the engine and then it will just be passed on. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, we keep filming because issues keep happening. For example, just yesterday, um, you know, you do see in the film that the city of Madrid votes to uh, change the street names. Um, mm -hmm. But that has been blocked, actually, because the Franco Foundation took the decision. There's such thing as a Franco Foundation in Spain that receives public funding. And um, and they took the, the decision to the courts. 
So just yesterday, the courts have decided that it is legal to change the street names. And so, you know, little victories like that keep happening. So finally, we will be able to film the changing of the street names in Madrid so they can take down names that honor mass murderers and war criminals and, you know, things like that. Um, and so, you know, we keep filming because history is present. You know, history keeps happening. Yeah, so I look forward to following this story as we move forward. And like I said, the film was terrific. And you're going to be in Toronto for the North American premieres. So uh, safe travels coming over. And and you're not going to be there by yourself. We're Uh we're the filmmakers and uh, one of the characters, actually two, but a major one and one that comes up from time to time. Um, they're, they're both going to be there um, to experience it with uh, Toronto audiences. So we welcome everyone who wants to go and uh, and say hi afterwards. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it'll be great. And uh, so, the, again, Friday, April 27th at the Tiff Bell Light Box number 2 at 6.30, Saturday, April 28th, 12.30 at the Tiff Bell Light Box number 3 are the two... Uh, two ones that you'll be at and uh, we encourage everybody of course saturday may 5th if you can't make it to either of those there's another showing at scotiabank theater cinema number three at 11:45 a.m so if you can't make it to the two there uh, there's that third showing as well in toronto but if you can make it to one of those first two uh, and get a chance to talk with the filmmakers get a chance to talk with some of the characters that would be uh, outstanding and, and obviously you're looking forward to it as well thank you very much actually the the day of the north american premiere is the birthday of the character that will be there so if you you'll help yeah. us uh, kind of sing happy birthday to him <laughs> yeah it's sort of a, a, a amazing, perfect coincidence it? that it, it's a great birthday gift <laughs> for him right to get to do yeah. this so thank you um, so all right well uh, very much i appreciate the time al mudina caracito thank you so much for taking the time to talk thank today. you thank you very much bye so there you have it my conversation with al mudina caracito and again those times for the screenings are tomorrow night as we release this friday april the 27th at 6 30 p.m at the tiff bell Lightbox number two saturday april 28th tiff Bell Lightbox number three in Toronto, and those are the screenings where the team will be there to talk about the film, answer questions, and of course, the following Saturday at 11.45 a.m. on Saturday, May the 5th at the Scotiabank Theatre Cinema number three, and and like I said on the show, I was moved by this, you know, I didn't know a lot about the situation in Spain, my familiarity with Franco and the Franco regime had to do with the civil war and the the way in which communism and Hitler and all these factors played into the Spanish Civil War. After that, you know, we don't learn much about Franco and the Franco regime here in Canada, or at least I didn't. And it, it was really interesting to see not only what happened, because you get a sense of what happened under Franco, but also to see how the Spanish people are dealing with, or in some cases actively avoiding dealing with, some of the issues that come up. So uh, a really powerful film with a lot of universal themes. So we definitely encourage people to see it if you're in the greater Toronto area to head out to those screenings over the next week and a bit. And if you're around the country and can't make it to those, there will be a wide release across the country. And I think this is definitely a film worth seeing. And something too, that for those of you who teach in any form, uh, you know, universities, high schools, uh, elementary schools. This might be a tough sell on elementary school kids uh, for uh, a, a few reasons, uh, including the visual 
side of it. But uh, certainly high school, university students, I think we get a lot out of this. And it's a film that has a lot of powerful universal themes and uh, something that uh, I did not expect when they sent me the, the screener for it, but something that I'm, I'm very pleased to have seen. And, and uh, I think it's just a, a very effective film. So I encourage everybody to see it. And again, the title is The Silence of Others. If you have any questions or comments for the podcast, historyslam at gmail.com. Twitter is at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And if you're at and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.